0: Welcome back to Touch Podcast. This is Ryan Clark. This is Nate Novero. And this is Shannon Etheridge. Thank you for joining back in our interview with Bromley McClelligan, where we will continue to talk about what makes sex sacred. And then we'll jump back into Bromley at the Just Sex Conference, where she talks about being the sex expert on church staff. And then a little bit later in the third segment of this show, Shannon, Nate, and I will chat about how important it is for women to be shameless about sex. And we question whether virginity is even a valid concept. Now let's get back to Bromley.
1: Like, you know, when sex is sacred, like that's something that happens too, right? Like we bring our fullest, truest selves, honestly. And, 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 you know, we experience something beautiful and hopefully fun together, you know? Um, And so I think, I mean, I think that's a way that sex can be sacred, and it doesn't involve, you know, costumes or toys, although, hey, you know, that can be fun, too, but, like, but, but that sense of, of rendering yourself vulnerable is, is, I think, um, you know, I had a, (laughs) a friend of mine said to me, who grew up Catholic, uh, said to me, uh, sort of, as, I don't know when, if the book had already come out or what, but he's like, so if everything okay, like, doesn't that kind of ruin it, right? Like, isn't the taboo kind of the fun, the fun of it, right? Like, knowing you're doing something dirty and shameful. Um, and uh, I would like to contend that you can still have fun, uh, even if we have said,
0: <laughs> even if it's not in the backseat of a car, um, right?
1: Even if you're not gonna get caught or yeah. right.
0: The advantage of being together for a long time is that the, we'll still find things we want to express to grow our intimacy and there is a risk in that about maybe it's something that you like sexually or something you want to try but there's all kind con- layers of vulnerability in a relationship that heightens the risk of in the intimacy of your relationship that will improve your sex life if you're willing to go there
1: yeah
0: and, and can truly trust the other person
1: yeah and I mean And to some extent, I mean, it's funny because to some extent, knowing to ask for what you need or want is like, um, is, uh, is a skill that you can grow independent of a relationship. For me, in some ways, it is super helpful to like be in a relationship in order to do those things. But the stakes are also higher if you're in, if you're in a relationship right i had a, you know i had a guy come and talk to me um and he wanted to explore you know kind of like using ethically made i can't remember he had a great phrase for it but like ethically made erotica like in his marriage and that certainly falls within like the realm of um, practices that people have, right? I mean, it's not particularly deviant, right? It doesn't break any laws, Um, particularly if it's like ethically made, right? Which that's a thing. Yes, fair Um, source,
0: ethically made, just like my coffee.
1: Exactly, right? So, uh, imported from, no. Uh, So, but, uh, but his wife, like is not there, you know. And this had become a real like problem for them because he had like he felt like he had shared himself, and she, and she wasn't there, you know. Um, and so there was a lot of hurt then around that. So I mean, there's something at stake when like you really want to like. I mean, it can go wrong, right? Sure, um, absolutely. Any,
0: yeah.
1: Anytime you risk yourself, right? It it can go wrong. Like growing intimacy is is not something that like just inevitably happens
0: well and and yeah yeah and i think too that you know keeping sex sacred would also um it's about in, intimacy and growing intimacy and taking risks and being vulnerable but it would and in and, and that would be um breaking out of routine because if you're yeah right you're just sort of getting off to relieve stress or because it's tuesday night at nine o'clock or whatever it is um here you know that's not you know it serves a particular function but that's also not building in- intimacy and is is not sacred if you're just sort of going through the motions well not, not that there's anything wrong with just like a a quickie to and move on but i'm but you know there does
1: i mean tuesday's a standing date you know but like yeah. the um no <laughs> <laughs> it's no that you say that and i think this is the other thing it's like like sex is about a lot of different things and it plays a lot of different roles in our lives. And sometimes, um, because I think, I think to some, to some extent, like you need both, right. I mean, it's not that, um, you shouldn't always have intimate connection and you should always like be focused on your partner and like be, Open to like listen and have your heart open to them, and like you know all these things, um even if it is just your standing date, right um and you should never feel obligated or like guilted by your partner to put out just because it's the standing date, like you know, but at the same time, if it's mutually sought, there is something um important about maintaining that connection, you know, I mean. And there's, I mean, there's all this stuff about, like, you know, how men and women's desire, like, they function differently, right? I mean, like, I might not, like, super be in the mood immediately the same way that my beloved male spouse is, but, like, I can get there. I just need a minute, Uh, you know? Like, so, you know, and we were talking in this conversation last night, and one woman goes, like, I never regret it. You know, I'm, not really, I'm never like, I wish I hadn't, you know? Uh, so, I mean, and, and then yeah. you've, and then you've spent some time connecting with your partner, you know? I mean, and so it's, uh, <laughs> so, and if you find yeah. in your relationship that following your standing date, you do regret it, then that's something to think about. Um, yeah. And, uh, but, but anyway, so it's, I mean, cause I do, I do feel a little like, <laughs> I mean, part of, you know, part of why I wanted to write was because I was like, this culture is sucking the joy out of teenage makeouts. And like, (laughs) that's not fair, because teenage makeouts are great. And like, everybody should get to do them. So, um, but like, but, and the flip side of that is to say that like, marital sex is always earnest, and special. And you know, and it's like, (laughs) and yes, it should be, you know, it, it should be mutual and it should be reciprocal and it should be all those things, but like, (laughs) but also it can be fun too. It doesn't always have to be like, you shouldn't always have to weep, you know, with the beauty of it. Sometimes you can just
2: shout and be excited. So how did your church respond? Have they been celebratory?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. (laughs) There's one lady who like makes fun of me all the time. Um, she, uh, so I was working, uh, I was working on, on a university campus when I wrote most of it. Um, and so that was really helpful because, I mean, one, it's college kids and graduate students, and they were happy to talk to me and share their stories. And um, uh, and it really made it feel, feel the issues made them feel very pressing, right? Like these are things that folks are trying to work out right now. How do we live into our sexuality and our faith at the same time? Um, I, I, <laughs> I was hired at my church... Um, where I am now, like, right as I was turning in, like, right when I got the second contract, and so I sent the draft of it to the senior pastor, and I was like, okay, check this out. Let me know if you think this is going to be a problem. Um, he was like, no, this seems fine. Um, uh, he did roll his eyes at the new title. Uh, he was like, well, you know, we're going to hear things. But, um, but they've been really supportive. Um, they do tend to think that I am you know, dropping innuendo, like, all the time. They are not, they they assume that everything that I say is, uh... I got handed a, um... our secretary, she got she had, like, a, um, a lightsaber, a blow-up lightsaber that uh, her daughter had had when she was a kid, and now she's in college, and so she brought it in one day, she thought my kids would like it, and it was red, but, like, it used to be bright red, but it was, like, 15 years old, so it was really sort of a pale... Like, like a more um, I don't skin wa- <laughs> tone. <laughs> I was trying to avoid like fleshy because I didn't want to, you know. Uh, I mean, it was it's like a white fleshy, right? Like someone blushing, who's this colored? Um, and uh, anyway, so they were right. So uh, anyway, and the office volunteer that day, <laughs> you know, as I'm walking around with this like, you know, inflated. Like, under-my-arm, flesh-toned thing. She's like, uh, what are you carting around in here? Anyway, so... Um, so, no, they've been very supportive. And actually, like, a number of folks called uh, after the book came out, and, um, and, and I was interviewed in a couple more conservative spots, and they called to tell my boss that, they, that he should fire me, because, um, you know, obviously, I'm, like, leading people astray and haven't read the Bible and all the Horace. things. So,
3: I know. so, But it, it, he was really supportive, so... So Questions. The, yeah. Hi, my name is Samantha Field. Um, I actually read a lot of the media responses when your book came out, uh, hilariously. Um, I think one of the most common criticisms was um, that it wasn't grounded enough in scripture. Um, like, it's a, it's a memoir, guys. Um, but that was actually something that, when I was reading it for my review... I knew it was going to be so helpful and so incredible, and I was going to recommend it to everyone. But the one component I wish that it had had was, I guess, scriptural justification, quotation marks, just because the background that we were coming from, reanalyzing it, we'd have all of those Bible verses kind of screaming in our heads at us. So coming at it from it now, um, like, what kind of scriptural justifications, quotation marks, would you give for the kind of ethic that supported good Christian sex?
1: That is a great question. Um, so, okay, so two things. One, I kind of actually envisioned falsely that um, that the primary audience for the book would be people like me who kind of had gone about their sex lives um, and conceivably gone to church Um, but had never bothered connecting the two or didn't know how to do it. Um, And so so I wanted to kind of give some theological some scriptural some ethical like jumping off points for reflection on personal experience and it's a memoir to kind of model how you do that so like say you had this ongoing hookup, and he liked you more than you liked him you know and it was kind of heartbreaking and you realized that you were treating him as an it not a thou um that was how I got into the I meant to say talking about the um Sending the releases, I sent it to this kid, and he wrote me back, and he's like, "I never would have imagined teenage makeout sessions and like Martin Buber in the same place." Uh, I'm like, "Now you are famous-ish," uh, so he was delighted. Um, uh, so, uh, so, 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 I, I didn't want it to just be scriptural. Um, I hope, as we've heard, not just from me, but from. Um, uh, Reverend Kelly Brown Douglas, uh, that the scriptural witness is not singular, right? Um, and I didn't want to build a case because I don't think that's how we're supposed to use scripture. Um, I don't, you know, I am not about proof texting um, the the um, and and that doesn't mean that I don't cherish the scriptural witness and find a lot of useful things in there. But um, Margaret Farley, who wrote Just Love, which kind of you know, um, was like the sexual ethics textbook. If you're only reading one in the last 10 years, that's a really good place to start. Um, uh, I mean, she talks about how there is no singular scriptural witness on sexuality. And so to kind of say that there is is not true to the scripture. Um, so that's, so I know that that was really hard. and And so interestingly, then, most of the readers that I have heard from, gratefully and with joy and wonder, um, have been folks who came more out of evangelical traditions who were like, don't you read the Bible? Like, you know, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I would love to help you more. Um, and so we can have those conversations, but that's why that wasn't the focus.
2: So it was intentional, but don't I recall a section where you did discuss how the word fornication and the references to sexual morality are really more about temple prostitution than about, uh, intentional relational connection.
1: Yeah, I mean, we and you talked about this in one of the sessions earlier, Sam, about the, um, you know, about being sort of like all encompassing, anything that constitutes sexual immor- immorality, and and again, and I, you know, um, as we heard in the, the second plenary today. Um, it, it may well be disingenuous to suggest that all the things that counted as sexual immorality in the first century are the same things today. All kinds of understandings that uh, about gender, about sexuality, about what makes a good relationship, about when the coming of the kingdom is. You know, all, a lot of things are different now. We've evolved in a good way. <laughs> yeah, our thinking has. Yeah. Right,
0: ladies and gentlemen, why don't you give a hand to... Brumley McClelligan. McClelligan.
1: McClellagan. McClelligan. McClelligan.
0: McClelligan. I want to say that I am excited that women are writing about sexuality and their, their sexual experiences without any sense of shame whatsoever. I mean, that is... And talking and being able to talk about it. I think that is... So good for faith communities and society. It is just, you know, it, it's that you know, shining a light on the thing. You know, the, the, it's it's so refreshing and just good for everybody. I, it,
4: yeah, it and it's really insightful, very very insightful. Um, and to her bravery, right? And there's something about her too, like her personality. Um, she's, she's really gruff she's absolutely beautiful. And she's her, she's got a ravenous, she has an appetite and she's not afraid to to talk about it. Like all of that stuff put together. Um, like there are so many women out there who's had this confidence that didn't seem to fit in the cultures they grew up with. They were always suppressed. They're always boxed in, you know, and, and she's one of those prime examples, how, um, these women are beacons for us and to speak fearlessly because we need to hear these stories, these passions, uh, these perspectives. They're fantastic.
0: Yeah, I, uh, you know, we, like a lot of people, I, when I have heard women talk about sexuality, um, either they were sort of outside the church or um, giving the kind of talk that Shannon used to give. Which was, um, I used to be, I turned away from God and, you know, and I was a big slut. and But now I'm not a slut anymore because I love Jesus again. Like, that's the only way you'd hear, hear the female voice centered in Christian circles. And so just to be like, look, I was normal. I was okay. I still love the Lord. And... I had, you know, and I had boyfriends and we had sexual contact and we were fine and I wasn't doing anything wrong. Like, yeah, maybe some of our listeners were freaked out by that, but, um, I just, I found it very comforting, actually.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, as a guy, I, when I think about a sexually confident woman, Shannon, a sexually confident woman, as an example, um, I get this image in my head of a huge bat being swung around and just could potentially cause a lot of damage. Um, and Bromley was one of those examples of how uh, a really strong spirit can gracefully think about all these things beforehand and speak so brazenly, so, so boldly, and do it in a way where we're given all the raw honesty without, without it destroying everything else.
0: Yeah, and by bat, you mean penis, right?
4: Well, I... Mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking You of couldn't penis, have but... been
0: more phallic with that analogy.
4: <laughs> yeah. But no, it's well, appropriate, maybe... right?
0: It's appropriate, man.
4: It shows you, Mids, it shows like you the
2: difference between, their between their the male wing. brain and the female brain. Because yeah, I thought true. he was referring right. to like a, a bat with wings flying Interesting. around Interesting. Because you I, I, a actually... witch. So I was thinking witch, bats... You
4: know. well, well huh maybe we can maybe we can draw the connection here. I was actually thinking like a chandelier store. <laughs> I was thinking of a scene in this movie Police Academy where where this, you know, there's a chandelier store where we have to be careful and then one of the characters has a gun, and there's a gunfight that happens. Anyway, I'm imagining a chandelier store, chandelier store where you have to be careful and um but then there's a huge bat being swung allowed swung around that could knock everything and break everything, but miraculously it doesn't. So I probably could have Done a little bit more of that metaphor, but sorry <laughs> that's how it went. or or and
0: and that men don't have to be predators to have sex bef- when they're not married. they can freely swing their bat and not worry about it destroying other people yeah they can be free and open with who they are and meet a partner who is free and open with who about who she is and have this wonderful mutual relationship and it not be how can i trick this woman into sleeping with me which is sort of the narrative all the 80s movies right that we that's true we kind of grew up
4: watching you know which which actually picks a quick i'm sorry i know shannon you haven't um, I was just gonna say, is there a guy version of Good Christian Sex? Has a guy written Not about yet. this?
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's I yeah, think...
0: I'm, yeah, I'm working on a book manuscript. If I can get it updated and it can go out. Yes.
2: Yes, it's gonna be awesome. It's great. <laughs> and the part where it's she there. are we recording, by the way?
0: We are.
4: Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. Um the part where she was talking about how well, the boys that she had relationships with were actually very nice guys and they were funny and she felt an attraction to them and this was something she wanted to do. And like, I love how that, yeah, brought some balance to the conversation of well, all men are pigs and that's, you know, they only want one thing and keep your legs crossed and your panties on type of thing. Like my dad used to say to me, and you know, it used to make me livid when he would say it in front of my dates. But uh, coming back around to what about the reality though, that a lot, a lot of times It's the woman who's initiating. I I, I feel as if the notion of, but women don't have sexual desire, that it's only their response to a man's sexual desire that they're bringing to the table. That's just talking about mountains of bullshit from our last show. um, That's a big mountain of bullshit. So yeah, I think that for women to understand that... Yes, you should be desirous of sexual intimacy. If you're not all together, um, there's probably some root causes of that that you need to closely examine with the help of someone. Um, but that it's up to you whether you want to harness that energy or whether you want to release some of it in certain select relationships. I I just thought that she showed incredible bravery to have conversations in circles where these conversations have not been had they've just not
4: yeah yeah and and she does it with such commonsensical thinking like there is this I, I really enjoy the conversation you're having with her Ryan about shame and we're just you guys are talking about how shame was used with sexuality and and where do you shame to teach other things as a teaching tactic shame is just not a good way to teach things and and so if that's the case, why do we use that word sexuality? When you guys hit on that one together, um, that was really refreshing. Like, that's true. Why are we so hard on, on teaching sex just with shame back in the day, right? Um, yeah, it was very telling to me. That was a really good beat.
0: Well, it's about control and particularly the control over women's bodies and this, the I think the social construct of virginity, like women have to protect this thing, that we say that that men say that they have, and if they fail to protect that, then they get tainted, and then there are these other social consequences. And the most probably the most effective way to do that is to shame people into oblivious, into oblivion, and take away their agency and yeah i mean it's it's a sad like to think of that as being sort of the foundation for how you build healthy warm loving mutual relationships and then enjoy sex for the rest of your life like it's ridiculous to think that we could ever have seen that (laughs) seen health as a conclusion to that um and it's a miracle that any of us have been healthy despite it
2: Mm Mm-hmm. I've had a handful of clients who were shamed sexually growing up uh, because maybe they were found touching themselves in the middle of the living room floor while watching something on television. And I'm talking about just like cartoons. I'm not talking about like porn or anything, but just made to feel bad about their bodies or about their desires or about, um, you know, uh, discouraged from having a boyfriend at all, et cetera, et cetera. And it's interesting how when those women are in their forties and still not married and there's just like their parents are baffled and it's like, well, but when you shame them so much over what comes so natural to us as human beings, at what point were they supposed to all of a sudden wake up and be totally comfortable in their own skin and totally confident in relationship with someone such that it would lead to marriage. And so that, the conversation around, um, you know, well, women have this precious thing called virginity, and they need to protect it at all costs because it's going to lower your sexual capital if you're not a virgin on your wedding night, or or no no good respecting guy is going to want to marry you at all if you're not a virgin at what point does that asset become a liability? Because a lot of these clients that I've talked to through the years who are now in their forties and they're still virgins and they've never married, they go out on a date. And when a guy hears that they're still a virgin, they're like, yeah, I could see Nate. cringing." Yeah. Yeah, the guy is like uh it, you know if if you haven't gotten comfortable with your sexuality by now then i'm not going to be the one to break you in cuz it just uh. it just seems like such a late you know kind of like the 40 year old virgin type of a thing yeah. but on a woman it's not very attractive or appealing to a man is my understanding is that why you're oh. like rubbing your eyes and shaking your
4: head no i'm just like you're you're talking about it yeah. For those of you at home, Nate is
0: making all kinds of uncomfortable faces and rubbing his face. So Yeah,
4: no, it's because you're you're hitting a really important issue. Like you're absolutely right. I've thought about this too. Something happens there that you pass a certain switch and the tables turn and it becomes a liability and
2: oh my god. Yeah, and and some of these clients have chosen to find a, a healthy enough relationship that they can begin to explore and experiment in their sexuality others have chosen to refrain from that until they find a marriage partner again everybody's journey is unique so i respect you know whatever direction she feels like she needs to go but yeah that's part of the conversation that you know we don't get that in abstinence education class yeah. but you know when, when will your virgin status no longer be an asset but a liability I'm talking about socially you know obviously sure, not sure, spiritually right. uh, but um yeah that that's the reality of the situation for a lot
3: of women
4: yeah and, and and it's I thought brumley brought up an interesting point when she said that you know she's aware of her distinction she's she's hetero she's married um, and she's at a place in her life she's got kids she's at a place in her life where where she can offer this, um, um, she can show her, her honesty as a woman with her sexuality and all of her opinions from a place that's not as threatening from, you know, someone who's uh, uh, gay or and, and single. And, you know, I think there are a lot of conservative <laughs> yeah. people that would give less, you know, less risk. I don't know, less listening ear to that person, but Bromley comes from a different place and she's using it. Yeah. Well, the it fact she's amazing. the pastor. Yeah. Yes, and a pastor. Dernamed, sure.
2: educated pastor. Well, kind of like E.T. E. McCarty, that. you know, just you have to listen to someone who has theological training, but has a different spiritual or sexual paradigm than most conservatives.
0: Yeah, and I think she, and she's a perfectly normal person. She's, to Nate's point, she's not exotic. Right. There's nothing sort of that. I mean, if you met her, you saw her at the grocery store, right? Yeah, she exactly. is a girl next door. And down the earth. And and, uh, you know, and in the the telling of her, uh, the journey of her book get, to get published, like mm-hmm. I have an immense amount of respect for her and the amount of courage and tenacity that she has shown because the denominational press. I mean, they got to the one yard line and then handed it back to her to say, yeah, this this topic is too hot, which I, for us at this time, and what I interpreted as, even for a mainline Protestant denomination that leans progressive in a lot of ways, that for a woman to say, I like sex, and I am not ashamed of that, and I have, and I don't. I don't have the shamey backstory Um, like that. That was that's too risque for a denominational press, and and in some ways that is so hard to believe in the twenty first century. Because my my wife and I we just uh, finished watching the marvelous Miss Maisel, you know, on um, on Amazon, and this show is not sponsored by Amazon, but season one and season two and one of the the huge theme is like she gets Miss Maisel is this comic and she gets arrested for talking about sex Um, and then in in, uh, season two she gets pulled off a stage because she uses the word pregnant and like that's in the 1950s that's in the 1950s but you know what Brumley experienced from the denominational press is not all that different
4: Right. right. That's
2: true. That's true. Uh, it makes absolutely. me really grateful for Harper Collins that caught the vision that this conversation does need to be had. They, that there are probably lots of other women who aren't necessarily ashamed of of their experiences from their past. Um, or if they've been shamed, maybe it's time for them to let go of that as someone else's shame being put on them, not coming from within themselves. Um but you know, it has to go back to the scripture of, um, of there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Like why, why do we shame people there? Here's a question for us to chew on why do we shame people for experimenting or exploring even in ethical ways with someone else who that's their only agenda to just experiment and explore. It's not based on marriage it's not based on any promise of marriage it's and i'm not i'm not advocating it i'm not prescribing it i'm just describing the fact that many people in our society especially in our day and age choose to engage in in sexual exchange of energy in this way why why do some christians not all feel the need to shame
0: them about it. Yeah, we need to let that shit go. <laughs> no, we have we have to let go of our our expectation that others should feel shame. Like that is that is some weird control stuff. Where you know that's what
2: I wondered if you would say is control. Yeah, I
0: think it's about control. You know, we're trying to, you know, we're all working really hard trying to you know keep our families together and our lives together and things are chaotic and traffic's bad and you know and you know and many of us will jump at the chance to to insert some control into our lives and you know that's i think we can't
2: control ourselves we try to control others right
0: right you know and we feel a little bit on edge Mm -hmm. we have a little flirty experience with someone and we think oh my god what's uh, you know we we project that onto other people and it's like well, if I can keep these teenagers or these young adults or my neighbor or the host of this radio show from getting to second base, then all will be right with the world. That's a. If you're just tuning in, that's a throwback to another episode.
4: Right? I,
2: I, I think he may have wanted to keep me from first base.
4: <laughs> first base! First base! Um, to, to also respond to your to your thought shannon um and and to your thought ryan about control what what i learned in opening my mind to tantra is you know what we're focusing on is surrender to surrender constantly and i'm needing to repeat that you know a, a lot of folks are learning this when they go to yoga class and with meditation uh, now it's surrender 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 and it's a beautiful complement with control And I want to say complement with control because I used to think that in order to embrace what I needed to learn in meditation, that surrender required surrendering of everything um, and that, you know, I don't know, I would be lost in the murk. And essentially, you do surrender to everything. I mean, that's just as we surrender our hearts to Christ, we surrender fully. Um, But when that—the way that shows out in life, it doesn't destroy your life. It's more about— um, you know, stepping from shame and seeing who you are who what's who are you in your full integrity um, and and it's getting to know yourself. It's a beautiful thing. It doesn't have to be the uh, destruction and loss of control of you know your job and your family and your and your religion. It's gonna feel like that because we've have developed a codependency on on these frameworks often. Um, but with the things that we're learning about now with you know with Shannon asking questions about you know, Challenging our shame and everything—it's—it's it's letting go. It's letting letting ourselves surrender bit by bit, letting that control go bit by bit, um, and that allows some newness to come in. And um, yeah, I think that's pretty much the end of that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, and surrender and, and surrender to
0: to to Shannon's question. I will say that we just we need to be very careful about fueling our shadow side, and I think our 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 need for control and our use of shaming is a f- it fuels our own shadow side and it triggers other people to operate out of their shadow side and we really need to be working on we work, uh, in living in the light as much as possible and that can be very scary for me <laughs> But <laughs> as Nate as Nate does a spit take because he knows he know no I have strong shame responses and he is good at triggering those in me. But you know, wow, you know, well, you know, and not that was a moment. Yeah, yeah, not you know to live in the light. Right. This is a this is a gospel tenant to to be in the light to live in the light to DC talk in the light.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wanna be. In the, in the, light. You
4: are in the light. Folks, Shannon Etheridge is dancing. You've got to see this footage on Patreon or whatever. I forgot where it's <laughs> on. Anyway, she's dancing. It looks great.
0: Um so if you're not down with the DC talk, then you know, sh- turn this off and go listen to some other
4: show.
2: Go but, back to the eighties and go early nineties. <laughs>
4: so yeah. But to the to the point, what's really cool about this podcast, as like you're you've been seeing we're really being raw and honest here, folks. So we're we're learning to be ourselves live, just as you heard Ryan say. Putting our neck on the
2: chopping block like this every yes. single episode. Just like
4: this. We're moving our heads sideways. We're wondering if
2: we're going to come back up with the head intact. Um, yes. Okay, so the, there's two expressions that I have written down on my handy-dandy little piece of paper here. Mm-hmm. So one is shameless sex. Of what, what would it look like for us to encourage Christians to have shameless sex? sex uh meaning if if you have a strong um moral underpinning if there is mutual consent if there is the intention of edifying one another if you are trying to build a long-term committed relationship like i i question you know does there need to be shame it kind of like what angie mccarty was talking about in in pastoring her 50 year old uh you know, woman in her congregation who was about to get married of just, I love how that conversation she had with her kind of took the shame out of the equation for her. Well, why not? Why not? Um, but then also the concept of surrender when safe, if we can encourage Christians or just people in general to surrender to one another in, in, in that intimate relationship, when it's safe to do so, what kind of, paradigm shift would take place in couples relationships. And, and Nate, I hope you don't mind me being personal, but the first thought that came to my mind was if someone could have taught your former wife to just surrender when safe, could that have made a huge difference in your marriage? Could that have prevented the divorce and so much of the anxiety that that built up through the years if, if we could all learn to surrender when safe to do so?
4: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. <clears throat> and um, I, you I don't have think... to
2: answer it directly. Like it can just be a hypothetical question because yeah. I realize that's very personal.
4: I think, I think I can, I think I can answer it directly. It's, I think it's fine. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if my former has the same answer. Um, Cause we get along really well. Uh, I'm glad I, I think for for us, it would have made a difference. It would have made a difference. I'm remembering how Bromley described her big leap of faith moment was before her marriage, you know? Um, And for her, that – well, she didn't really – I'm going to assume this is why it was her answer. Knowing what that meant sexually, the commitment she was making, right? And that container that would have to last, you know – Whatever that covenant was, um, something about that made marriage for her the deciding to be married the deciding to be married that became the leap of faith experience for her. Right. So I think if my former and I were to reapproach our relationship, and if we were to ask ourselves, where sexually is that leap of faith moment for us, like. Where's that biggest fear? Where, what's our shadow here that we're afraid to confront? You know, that's our coming to Jesus moment sexually, right? And and can we come, come into a covenant to have that together? That was the conversation we should have had. We never had that.
2: Yeah. If trust can be the bedrock, the foundation that couples can build on and surrendering when safe and leaning on that foundation, I think that that, that could bring a lot of healing and- and set people up to really have a, a rocking sex life, but we're we're so adamant on teaching girls, especially, but boys too, of put your wall of defense up. Wall of defense. Wall of defense. Defend yourself. Defend yourself. Defend yourself. Well, we don't put the wedding band on our finger and those walls all magically crumble and fall to the ground. Right. We bring those walls in, and so I think that there's a difference between a healthy boundary and a wall. And I think that the purity movement created walls instead of boundaries and people have a hard time learning how to climb over those walls, surrender when safe and connect with their partner. And it makes me sad.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It is. It, it's a, it's a very, yeah, it's, it's heart. It's, it's definitely heartbreaking because what breaks my heart about it is that, um, when my former and I were together, the way I would describe it is that, uh, there was a wall be- between us and, we wanted to break down the wall, but we didn't know if we could trust the other person on the other side of that wall, right? So even though we thought we were breaking down the wall in some ways, the wall was still there. Like the trust factor was still there, right? We we had, you know, we thought if we were talking more, doing more activities, all these other things that looked like the wall was broken, we'd be okay, um, but we still didn't have the trust and no I, I didn't know it. I really didn't know. I remember a heart I remember a heartbreaking moment when I was with my therapist when she said that she could tell that we weren't intimate, you know that there was still yet this trust wall we hadn't broken through, and I was like we've been in over, we've been together over ten years. you can't possibly be right um, but she was articulating exactly what you're talking about.
2: She was speaking her truth. she and, had not felt safe climbing over the wall and surrendering. So yeah, I, I think that having some good Christian sex sometimes c- could be a, a healthy journey. It, it was obviously was a, a healthy part of Bromley's journey, even though in the past I have said that I have lots of regrets about my years of promiscuity, and and by and large, I do, but there are a few of those relationships that I can't say that I totally regret because of the value of what I've learned in those relationships and how it shaped me as a person and helped me to to move on and blossom in some really healthy ways. So I I can't throw out all the babies with all the bathwater. Um, so yeah, Mm -hmm. I, but I never really gave myself permission to look at any of those in a positive light until I read Bromley's book. I I really Uh think that, yeah, her, her good Christian sex book really is a paradigm shifter for anyone who has any sort of sexual baggage in their past, or they just perceived it as baggage. Reading that book really helps you reframe it and accept it for what it is and maybe even glean some valuable nuggets of wisdom out of it yeah. not that you would go back and have sex outside of marriage it's just you stop looking at yourself as having the scarlet letter on your sweater and realize that hey i was being human and i was doing what humans do and i learned lessons that many humans learned and um it doesn't make me a bad person because there's no condemnation for those who are in christ
0: i'll say it this way Um, For those women who I dated in high school and college, I strongly recommend that you go out and buy Good Christian Sex, Why Chastity Isn't the Only Option, and Other Good Things the Bible Says About Sex, so you can stop hating me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You were just trying to be human, weren't you, Ryan? I was just
0: being my my human horny self, that is for sure. (laughs) Um, uh, maybe Stop I think maybe you. I should buy them I'll just buy them but if I just bought the books and they randomly showed up at those at their door that would just that would be even creepier wouldn't it that would be creepier that should not happen <laughs> I doubt that any of those women listen to
2: them and especially populace. if you ask yeah. them what base they've been to lately don't do no <laughs>
4: for some oh, reason I think gosh. Brumley could get away with it yeah. I think Brumley could do anything
2: yeah yeah, she can do it. <laughs> yeah she, she's a trooper, and I know that she has some arrows in her back being the trailblazer that she is, but she really has tilled the soil and broken ground for a lot of other good, healthy seeds of conversation to be sown.
4: I I I like how she was – one of the things I learned from her was how she just said how it was important to ask for what you want mm. and how that really – it really just moves things a lot. It moves things faster. It moves things in a healthier way. And that used to be the scariest thing I could possibly be asked. You know, what do you generally want? What is your sexual desire? Um, so it was really cool to hear her say that.
0: Yeah, and if you're listening at home, thing, yes. uh, yeah. tell us what you want. E- email us that question. <laughs> because we're going to do a show on fantasies
2: and fetishes yes
0: we are <laughs> okay and speaking of talking about what you want and saying what you want and making that known you can email us at infotouchpodcast.com or call or text us at 678-685-1010 and we would love to hear your stories we have an upcoming episode on desires fantasies and fetishes and we would love to uh, hear what's going on with you so, um, as always, we're really grateful that you listen to this podcast, grateful to Bromley McLennigan for uh, her time with us, and uh, go out, buy her book, uh, Good Christian Sex. Um, You can follow us on the Instagrams and on the Twitters at touch underscore cast. Find us on Facebook. You can go to our website, touchpodcast.com. Listen to uh, all of our episodes, even from season one. Uh, Read essays, see videos, and interact with me or Nate
4: or Shannon. This has been Touch Podcast. I'm Nate Navarro. This is Ryan Clark.
2: And I am Shannon Etheridge, and we love you for listening. Sometimes you can just shout and be excited.